Welcome back to Following Noah Dawn, a Stormlight podcast. This episode is one, two, three of our discussion into A Rhythm of War. Paul, how are you? Great. Yeah. And welcome everyone to our tw- uh, episode. I'm really excited to talk about Rhythm of War this week. I'm just going to start censoring you whenever <laughs> I hand it over to you. Okay, Use Trevor. that mute button. Trevor. I've already thought it all the way through. I've thought away all of our teen numbers. I have thought through them. Can't wait to get to episode two hundred then. <laughs> you will have to. You will have to remove me from this podcast, Elliot. I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to stick with episode one, two, three. Sounds good. We have a highlight of mine. Out of the entirety of the Stormlight Archive, not just Rhythm of War, to talk about this episode, do you guys have two words to summarize episode one, two, three? Uh, Paul. Yep, I sure do. I'm, I cannot wait to talk about this. Uh, these chapters. Uh, my two words are sentimentality and prisoner. Okay. Elliot? I guarantee my two words are directly out of your highlight of the Stormlight Archives, Trevor. My two words are warm again. Hmm, yes. Let's use these four words and talk about part four of Rhythm of... All right, we'll go to Paul. We'll go to Elliot first, because I assume I know what those are about. I'm not going to read the quote just yet. Let We'll get into the, the discussion of our Hoyd story, because it is it is a good one. But the the end of that story, or the the takeaway, if you will, is just such an encouraging outlook that Hoyd is able to give to Kaladin of, you're in a dark place, but you will be warm again someday. That that just it will get better. Yeah. Paul. Well, my two words. My my first one is fairly similar to Elliot's sentiment. There, uh, sentimentality is going to be about uh, chapter eighty, uh, the dog and the dragon, and um, tells a, a sweet story, which we'll talk. In depth later, I'm sure. Um, but basically, um, I almost chose like family for the for my word here, but but kind of just like there's there is a sweet message there of what a dog has that a dragon does not. Um and and it was more like centered around like family happiness around the hearth kind of like atmosphere. Um, yeah. and I just thought about sentimentality. Did you? Oh, I, oh I had a. Okay. Yeah, I, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, my second word is prisoner, which, like, honestly, I loved chapter 80 so much. I wanted to make both my words about it, but I was like, okay, I'll think of something else. And prisoner is with our last chapter that we're going to talk about, which is titled Knife. Um, and we see Sh- uh, Shalon is given a knife by Marais, which we've seen before. Not the same knife, but a knife of the same kind. 
Okay. Um, that we've that we saw, I believe, Moash use at the end of Oathbringer. Yes. When, he, as far as we know, when he killed Yezrian. Um, and but everything that Murray said sounded like it wouldn't kill per se a herald. They would still be able to talk to him. So in my mind, it sounded like it's a prisoner hostage situation that they're just trapped. Maybe not dead, but trapped. Um, so that was why I chose prisoner. <laughs> uh. Sounds good. Well, there's going to be two dramatic parts to this episode. There's going to be part A of chapter 80 and then everything else. Um, before we get to chapter 80, though, let's let's go through 79 real quick because it's actually a pretty cool chapter. We get a Relaine point of view chapter. He is walking through the tower and we get a day in the life of Relaine perspective of literally everybody hates him except for Bridge 4. Everybody mistrusts him for some reason at, at, at best or deliberately wants him dead or in prison at worst. The, he's walking through Yurithiru. All the humans are have turned their back on him. If they were ever accepting of him, besides Bridge 4, the other humans, they have turned from him because the singers and the fused have taken control of the tower. So who's the first person to blame on how they did that? Relaine. He's, they, they view him as the spy that was there ahead of time that helped take down the tower is how they they see him and then the fused view him as a traitor and then the singers view him as some sort of i don't know what's the word i'm looking for reverent like somebody to be somebody to be cautious of i guess like He's part of the listeners, and they don't really know what to do with the listeners. They are, are they? Did they save us? Did they give us our forms back? Are they traitors? Yeah. Uh, w- he's like, he's definitely like a red flag or cause for concern. Right. He just doesn't fit it's, anywhere. Yeah. And it's really pretty sad of Verlaine walking through this tower, and everybody on both sides doesn't doesn't want him there. So, what what do you guys think of this chapter? It I it was very sad, Trevor. So my biggest want for Relaine before this chapter was for him to kind of like find I don't know if I would say a sense of belonging, but that's a pretty good way to put it. Um we see like what we've seen the most of him so far is he's a member of Bridge Four from pretty early on in our story. Um and Kaladin does his best to include him in things. But it's almost like there's he he can't fully make him an included welcomed member. There's just differences, and it's really hard to like fully include, fully incorporate Relaine. Um, even things like they go and get their like matching tattoos, and it doesn't work with Relaine, right? Like it's it it's just it does eventually. They have to use a separate ink for him because oh, okay, his skin okay, is so okay. dark. But yes, I 
okay i had forgotten about that in my head it just didn't work and i was like that's just really sad like all all your like friends let's say like go do something and you can't participate that's just kind of sad and i think that almost sums up his character uh, of like not quite being able to to fit in and so we knew he was not going back to the fused on good terms or, or whenever he was got back with them. Um, but we really see like he, he cannot catch a break. He can't win for losing in the department of like finding his people. Um, yeah. Venley is the closest person he has to relate to, I think, which is cool. I bet that will turn into something really neat, but I can't help but feel sorry for Relaine. Same. I, I echo all that. It's cool to get in his head a little bit, get to get a perspective from him, which I don't remember if we've gotten that before. If, if we have, it's been a little while. So getting to see that he has a fun reunion with David at the, at the end, which he was does. pretty cool. Another kind of outcast who doesn't really fit in anywhere, but yeah, definitely, definitely feeling for relaying a little bit here. And yeah, at the end here, David walks in and says, like four full sentences. We we saw him we saw him say life before death right before Kaladin went running down the stairs. But that is the only thing we have heard David say. And up until this point, he walks in and says, "Relaine, I really need your help. Kaladin's asleep and won't wake up. I think he's dying." He says that full thing to uh, to Relaine, which is a it's a pretty cool cool moment that they can share between the two of them. So. Relaine and Liren are working pretty closely together right now to take care of the asleep radiance. And Liren and Hesina are pretty concerned for their safety right now because they said they were they're being spotted by Stormform Regals that are in, that are on guard. So if someone puts two and two together, they'll figure out that Liren is who the pursuer has been looking for. Um, so it's only a matter of time between or before the pursuer comes looking for them. They're still under the protection of Lushwi right now, um, but that may not stop the pursuer from taking action. So we'll see how that goes. I definitely don't think they're safe. We've, we've seen the, the pursuer stoop to some pretty low tactics before. So wouldn't be surprised that if he learns about them, that he'll be tempted to use them against Kaladin again. Yeah. Anything else from this, uh, this chapter here? All right. Chapter 80. All right. Okay. Where do we start? I think we should just read the whole thing. I was going to say, if you <laughs> if you are listening to this podcast and you are not reading along with this, first of all, that's totally fine. But you should pause, go read or listen to The Dog and the Dragon, and then come back. Because there are so many specifics in this chapter that that land so well. I don't really know how to say it other than this chapter is beautifully sculpted and beautifully placed in this book and on that note what did you guys well what are your first 
couple takeaways from this chapter and then we'll talk about it as a whole. So my takeaway, what I, what I left this chapter feeling was, wow, what a masterclass on empathy that wit just demonstrated. And I can, as we start, as we get into the, the specifics, I'll, I'll point out where and why, because there's multiple examples here of exactly how you are the, the best way to approach someone who's going through something difficult. And it's not, uh, I'll speak for myself here. It's not the way I would intuitively approach someone. Usually what you, what I find myself trying to do is trying to, you know, comfort someone who is, who's going through pain. Yeah. If you read this carefully, that's not what Witt does here. He does multiple other very intentional things here that in the end does a great job of lifting Kaladin's spirit and leaving him feeling inspired. So yeah, really, really cool. Mm -hmm. I have a couple things. Mm -hmm. One one Kaladin asks for a story, he which does. I think was cool, like development. Um, that's kind of been one of my uh down point views of Kaladin's character is all all this crazy stuff happens, and I feel like he's still he's not the same. He he's nowhere near like the wretch that you see in the Way of Kings, but it is like all right, give yourself a break. Come on, Kaladin. Um but anyways, here he asks Hoyd for a story, pretty much. And not only that, this was my favorite Hoyd story and, like, Hoyd story chapter. Yeah. I liked this more than the Wander Sale. Um, I thought it was excellent. Um, my, I, I briefly mentioned it with my word sentimentality that I, I loved, like, the story was honestly, like, just neat to hear it, it was like almost like a children's tale um but it, it was really cool um and uh, my favorite takeaway was it's the story of a dog that wants to become a dragon and wants to show everyone that he has become a dragon so he tries to take on the embodiments right um and through him trying to reach his goal he kind of ends up doing some good um and basically gets welcomed into, he lives on this like farm, if you will, and basically gets welcomed into the farmer's house, gets a full meal, like full belly of food, and uh, gets to kind of play with the children and all this stuff. And it almost doesn't really like give you the point or, or that, that like closure. Mm -hmm. And already I enjoyed it. But then whenever it did, it really nailed it home to me that I think this is my favorite point moment uh because it talks about how yes the dog cannot become a dragon but the dog does have something valuable that the dragon does not have and that's being able to be like in a warm home with people who love him and a belly full of food you know and i'm a big sucker for like kind of simple life pleasures like yeah being a big focal point I've said this before, I'm a huge Tolkien fan, and I feel like he does a pretty good job of that being, like, a point of a lot of his writing, i.e. The Hobbits, um, and just a lot of stuff like that. And so, yeah, that that was probably my biggest takeaway, the part that I really loved. Also, also, we get mentioned that there's a dragon, like an actual dragon. 
somewhere yes, on Roshar. We do. That 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 made me think. So we'll we'll talk. I think one of the most impressive parts of this entire chapter is, and I guess I can't speak for everybody who reads Rhythm of War, but Brandon Sanderson knows exactly what I want. Like me specifically, he knows exactly <laughs> what I want as a reader because Kaladin sits down next to a fire in this hellscape of a, of a vision that he's in. And he asks, can I have a story? And as a reader, I'm just like, yes, that's what I want. I want to sit next to, to Wit and hear a story just for 20 minutes, just so we can go, go back into this, this terrible time that Kalos has been having lately. I just want to sit down and listen to a Hoyd story because I've been, I've been wanting it. And Kaladin finally asks for one and he get, when he gets the opportunity and Wit is there to take advantage of it. And uh, it, I, I think it's a really cool moment of Brandon Sanderson knowing exactly what he's doing. It was like, I'm going to string this out as long as I can and get them to ask for it. And then I'll give it to him when Kaladin asks for it. I love Wit's response to that too. He, he like kind of is taken aback when Kaladin asked for the story and he's like, well, I've never actually been asked for one before. I always, you know, the, the implied there being, I, I usually have to force them on other people, you know, in their moment of, of need. So yeah, I, a different type of, I forget what the phrase we're supposed to use for these moments is. Their obsession. Yeah. I want to go back to the, something that you mentioned, Elliot, of the way Wit sets this up before he's beginning his, before he's beginning his story, the way Kaladin um, asks for it. He meets him in the storm and he just has a quick conversation with him. And uh, I'll read it for us. This is on 912 in my book. How long can I stay with you? Kaladin asked. Not long, I fear, Wit said, serving him a bowl of stew. 20 minutes or so. I have to go back out into that? Wit nodded. I'm afraid it's going to get worse, Kaladin. I'm sorry. Worse than this? Unfortunately. I'm not strong enough, Wit, Kaladin whispered. It has, it has been, it all has been a lie. I've never been strong enough. Wit took a bite of his stew and then nodded. You agree? Kaladin asked. You know you, you know you better than I what your limits are, Wit said. It's not such a terrible thing to be so weak. Makes us need one another. I should never complain if someone recognizes their failings, though it might put me out of a job if too many share your wisdom, young Bridgman. And if all this is too much for me, Kaladin asked, if I can't keep fighting, if I just stop and give up, are you close to that? Yes, Kaladin whispered. Then best eat your stew. Wit said, pointing with his spoon, a man shouldn't lie down and die on an empty stomach. And you were talking about that earlier, Elliot, how he doesn't, Wit's not here to comfort. He's not here to sugarcoat. I mean, he is here to comfort. He's not, he's not here to sugarcoat the terrible situation that Kaladin is in. He's acknowledging that and then saying, okay, now what? So, be be having that approach of it, it's going to be okay is not what what it says he says 
it's going to get worse, which we'll talk about here. We'll come back to that here in a second, but it just acknowledging and not necessarily lying to the person who's struggling and say, it'll, it'll, it'll be better soon. He does say that eventually, but he says it very well could get worse and then it'll get better. And that is exactly what I was talking about with the, the empathy, not sympathy, but true empathy, which is the, the difference there being empathy is feeling someone's pain with them. It's not feeling sorry that they are going through pain. It's, it's feeling that what they are feeling alongside them. Wit doesn't come in here and throw a show, uh, an arm around Callan's shoulder and say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. He says, it's not going to be okay, but I'm here and here's some stew. Like I'm here in this moment with you to get you through this, not here to tell you that it's going to be okay. Cause it may not, but that's the difference. And that is the, what's so not maybe intuitive about that of when, when someone's going through something tough, it's so instinctual just to kind of reach out and say, you can do this. You got this. You, it's going to be okay. That just kind of sounds like someone who's distant or maybe doesn't quite, the, the response to that is, is usually, oh, you don't understand what I'm going through. Wit steps into the moment with him, makes him some stew and says, all right, man, I'm here for you. Yeah. And then I love the, the whimsical presentation that uh, design and, and wit have here where wit fully embraces the, the storyteller aesthetic and Brandon Sanderson fully embraces it too of it's such a fantasy like cliche of the the story beside the the fire of let me tell you a story and like of something i heard from a tavern long ago or whatever and brandon sanderson just fully embraces that it's like yes i'm going to have a fireside storyteller in my books and you're gonna love it and here we are <laughs> so wit's like fully embracing that as well of I'm going to tell you a story by the fire because that's what I do. And watch what he does with it too, which I think is very intentional. He starts the story off by saying, Oh, and by the way, this is a, this is a meaningless story. There don't, don't search for a moral because there isn't one. This is a different kind of story. And then he goes into it. Then at the end, Kaladin kind of comes to the moral himself. And I think you learned that there, there was a moral of the story, that there was a point. Right. But what, but what Witt has done is this, this leads into the inspiration side of it. He's not there to kind of put up a banner and say, here's the moral you need to learn, Kaladin. He's just going to tell a story and he's going to let Kaladin fill in the blanks. He's going to let Kaladin come to the realization himself which is so much more meaningful to someone at the end where they realize themselves what they're missing, not you tell them what they're not seeing. And that's another just brilliant aspect of this scene. We should, I'll I'll summarize the actual story um, real quick. But if, again, if you haven't read it recently, please go do 
the dog in the story is trying to become a dragon and he divides it into three separate ways. I need to go give myself scales. I need to talk like a dragon and I need to fly like a dragon. So he figures out, oh, uh, seeds kind of look like scales-ish. I'll go make a bunch of seeds. So he does that, puts them on his body and all the dogs say, you don't look like a dragon. Go back to being a dog. Uh, then he learns to write on the ground with his his stick and communicate that way, but it's and the, the dogs don't even understand it at first, and he has to explain what he's doing, and then the dogs say, that's not speaking, go back to being a dog. And then the third one is flying, and he goes to the the hay whatever loft. What What is that called? There's a specific name for it. I don't remember. Um, the hay loft. Hay loft. <laughs> yeah. No, the, the mechanism the lift, whatever. And he jumps off the loft and lowers himself down gracefully and says, I'm flying. And the dog's like, you're not flying. And then immediately, cliche, he gets to put all these to good use when he runs out. The toddler has fallen into the well and he writes on the ground, lower me, gets tied with a rope and lowered into the well, saves the, the toddler. And at the end of the story, the dog says to himself, I am a complete and utter failure. I could not become a dragon. The end. It definitely had an element of, I think it was Trevor, maybe it was Paul. You guys mentioned this already of like children's fairy tale or almost like Aesop's fable type story you know the dog and the dragon it was it was very simple very predictable very fun twist at the end but it, it served a much greater purpose which was which was cool which is what Kaladin needed to hear exactly that was that was the biggest thing i was thinking while while listening to this uh, was yeah, it, it it was like a children's story. It was a cute dog doing something, and everyone laughed. Like it, it was very like you could just go pick up a random children's book, and I feel like it would be pretty similar. This um, is the tortoise and the hare like yes. level of yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and but it it was just used so well. I I absolutely loved it. Um, and it's it's a good also like it was a really good point for Kaladin of he's been chasing such a, like a lofty goal and doing so much in the process in, in the journey, if you will. Um, and he's been focusing too much on the destination, if you will. Um, <laughs> the, that it, it was a really good thing to point out to him specifically. And I love the use of the ending, how it's so jarring and bad that Kaladin gets mad at it. And then he's like, <laughs> tell me the, yeah. tell me the real ending. Cause the, the dog is a hero. He's done doing all this great stuff. And then he realizes it, and he's like, "Wait a minute, this is about me, isn't it?" And that's when, and that's when it clicks for him. And it's like, "I told you not to assign any moral to it." And Zion's like, "Well, actually, he didn't promise. You just kept talking." Blah Speaking blah blah of, blah blah. I absolutely loved the sprint in this chapter. I thought he was. I thought I thought the sprint was hilarious, and I've. From my perspective, this could this could have just been a, a a ruse, but it seemed like Hoyd was actually flustered with 
uh, with design. It's design, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, her with name's design. design. Uh, seemed actually flustered by design and was like, "Why did I bond you to anyways?" You know, <laughs> like it, it was very like quarrelsome and in a fun way, and I absolutely loved it. I'm trying to think of an aspect of this chapter that I didn't love. I loved how design spoils the story right at the start. <laughs> yes. yes. It was, it was such that a was great, funny. you know. Oh, and by the way, the, the dogs can't become dragons. Like, you should know that up front. And Wick yeah. gets all, all mad at it. Like, what are you doing? Don't spoil stories. Which, yeah. like, that that was exactly what Wit said. Yeah. I, I imagine that in, like, all, you know, all caps, just, like, yelling at her. I think it's really funny and, and pretty, like, true to our cryptics of, like, yeah, you should know what what happens if you're going to sign up to listen to this. You know, like you should know what's going to happen. And I thought that was funny. You don't go to the market and buy a mystery box and bring it home. You have to know yes. what you're getting into. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I also loved all the all the parts where Kaladin tried to interrupt and like talk about the story, and which just just like this isn't the part where you talk. Shut up. Let me keep talking. Yeah. The 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 whole drama suspense thing is actually straight out of Brandon Sanderson's podcast where he talks about being uh being an author is such a weird business model because you're not like let's say you buy a book from a brand new author that you've like not heard about whatever you are paying up front for something you don't know will be worth your time or you're paying up front for so- based on what someone has told you will be worth your time. You don't know if it will be worth your time or not, which he's like, yeah, there's no other, there's no other thing besides like buying media. That is you're, you don't know if your money is well spent yet or not. How does the actual story end when Caledon asks for it? We we've touched on it a little bit already, but the the end of the story is essentially that the dog was not a failure, but by aspiring to be something so much greater than it was, for example, the dragon, it was able to achieve much more than any dog had ever achieved. So even though it it might have felt like a failure, it wasn't because it had done something incredible along the way. And then what I loved too was sort of the, the after moral of the story, which was the, the nugget that wit leaves Kaladin with as their, their time is drawing to a close. And that was the quote that tied into the, the word, the two words I had at the beginning, um, which I do want to read if now's a good time. Yep. So he's he's told him the story. He's left him with the moral. He's kind of opened his eyes to see that he's not a failure. He can he can do this. He has done things incredible. Kaladin responds with this. It won't be like that for me, Kaladin said. You told me it would get worse. It will, Wit said. But then it will get better. Then it will get worse again. Then better. This is life. And I will not lie by saying every day will, will be sunshine, but there will be sunshine again, and that 
is a very different thing to say. That is truth. I promise you, Kaladin, you will be warm again. And that's like the second to last sentence of the, the chapter. It, it ends on that, which was so like spine tingly, you know, moment for me. It was like, ah, yes, that's that's so good. And it's so exactly what Kaladin needs to hear in this moment. He feels like he's alone. He feels like he's betrayed all his friends. He feels like he has no one to help him. And Kaladin comes in with this story that kind of inspires him, shows him he is something, and then leaves him with this, what you're going through is hell but it will get better. That was awesome. Yeah. What do you guys think it will get worse before it gets better means? What is, what is wit foreshadowing? So we know that we know that Moash is a part of all this. Yes. We know that Moash has been given a mission to specifically target Kaladin. So seemingly this is the direct handiwork of Moash. Moash hasn't even Moash hasn't entered the scene yet, per se. I, I could see worse being the actual physical arrival of Moash. And maybe not just nightmare torture, maybe maybe physical torture. Okay. Any predictions, Paul? I am also on board with the Moash, like like at least Moash coming into the scene here. Uh, we haven't seen him since part one, and that was like kind of a big deal. There was a lot that happened there, and we know that is Moash's plan is to get at Kaladin. Um, so I fully expected to see that, and I'm really grateful for this chapter because it gave me so much more faith in Kaladin, and, like, I feel like if you were to tell me, if you were to rewind time before I read this, and we're like, yeah, Moash is going to, like, torment Kaladin, but Kaladin is going to hear a sweet story and then, like, <laughs> feel boosted from that. Like, I was like, no, Kaladin wouldn't really, like, but after like reading this chapter, I was like, "Oh yeah, Kaladin could take on Odium right now." Like I don't know, <laughs> um, or at least like if it if it's like an emotional like struggle or battle, like I feel like this was such a good story to like hold true to like yourself and what you like have, I guess. So I'm feeling pumped up. I'm ready for Kaladin to just go smack Moash around. Sounds good. I have a couple questions about actually not the story that I have wit shares here. I have a couple questions from our discord to offer you guys about the chapter surrounding the story. So go ahead, Paul or go ahead, Elliot, and I will follow up with something else. Interesting. Okay. I'm curious what those are going to be. There's two things that I noticed. The first is actually before the story even starts when, when Wit first appears and creates this bubble of light to kind of protect Kaladin, he makes some interesting comments. He 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 says he he wonders how Odium is targeting Kaladin specifically without having a connection. And I, I think we as readers know the answer to this that you do. Wit does not, and I think the answer is Moash. Correct. I think we we saw that. We I think this was mentioned specifically. 
Odium is using Moash because Moash has some sort of connection to Kaladin. So that's the piece that that Hoyd doesn't see, is that Moash has a connection to Kaladin. Odium and or Moash is using that connection to do this with. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bunny trail this real quick. This should be short. That makes sense to me. What that actually makes me start to wonder is in this scene, Wit references the visions that Dalinar had from Honor. Yep. If those are similar, did that, the the Honor tapes that we've, as we've <laughs> called them before, yes. did those visions require a connection? And what and who were involved in that connection? Clearly Dalinar's on one end of the connection, but who's on the other? I would assume I would assume yes to your or to your first question that those would require capital C connection. Second one, I would assume that honor himself, the the vessel of honor that Delinar has a connection to the vessel of honor, and that is why he's able to receive them. Interesting. That thought popped into my head, and then now I start going down paths of like, okay, well, how do you establish connections? Because Clearly, you can't just like reach out to someone, even a shard, can't just reach out to someone and create a connection because that's what Wit's talking about here, that, oh, Odium doesn't have a connection with you. Why is he able to do this? So how did Honor or Tanavast, is that the vessel of of Honor? Am I remembering my Cosmere correctly? Um, why does Tanavast or Honor have a connection with Dalinar? How, how did that get created? Or is the Stormfather in here somehow? Is it like a, a connection between Dalinar and the Stormfather that was existing long before they actually bonded as a, a radiant pair? Th- those are actually the kind of questions I was thinking about based on Wit's comments here. Yeah, it's a, I don't know if I have an answer for you. It's a good question. But the... Bigger question that I can't answer comes after the story. That was that was before the story. Then we get our story. Wit makes a kind of an offhand comment here in the wrap up. Here, he says he says this. I'll read it. I can't keep this bubble up much longer. I'm afraid. Wit said he'll notice if I do, and then he'll destroy me. I have violated our agreement, which exposes me to his direct action. And then he kind of quips at the end. I'd rather not be killed as I have seven more people I want to insult today. I, I kind of wrote the last one off there. It's just him being silly. But the, I have violated our agreement, which exposes me to his direct action. Who Who is his? Who is, who is this he he's referring to? It seems like from context, it would be odium. And then going back a sentence, I have violated our agreement. Does, does Hoyd have some kind of agreement with Odium? Is this something I've forgotten? Is this new info? What is what is going on with this? So I said this to Paul before the episode started. I really want to talk about this. I can't talk about this until the end of the book. I promise you we will revisit this. I promise. I can't talk now. Interesting. 
my thoughts on this, which this is very much like way out there. I don't think this holds much weight. Uh, but we've seen these letters from Hoyd, right? Yeah. Um, going all over to people on this kind of real, like, Cosmere zoomed out scope, like these dragons, people who are concerned about the actual shards of Adonalsium. Um, and I've, I'm, I don't know if, like, there's some agreement between Hoyd and just the general shards of Adonalsium. And Odium is one of those shards, right? So, maybe something like that. I don't know what he would have specifically with Odium. Yeah, I'm not sure either. It's been a while since I've just had to sit and shut up on the podcast. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. miss this feeling. I yeah. want to talk. <laughs> and I feel like we Paul and I we can't even theorize too much on this. I mean we could we can completely guess as to what might be going on here, but I don't feel like I know enough here to even try and pull any evidence together. I'm sure the evidence is there. I'm just not seeing it. Anything else for well, before I go the dog and the dragon I have, mm -hmm. I have some questions to ask you but anything else before then just real quick we didn't talk well we mentioned it the reference to a dragon on Roshar yes uh, I don't remember what brings him to say it but someone Kaladin or someone says something and oh, 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 he's showing uh, Hoyt, I think, is showing Kaladin what a dog looks like. He's like a dog and he's like, it's this. It's fun and fluffy and loyal. They're great. Dogs are amazing. Even Hoyt thinks so. And then here's a dragon and shows him a dragon, like kind of an image of a dragon. Um, and these are kind of like hypothetical, like imaginary creatures to Kaladin, as far as I know. Mm -hmm. He's like, well, there is a. Um, he does think that there may be dogs on in. Shinovar. Uh... What's the yes, Shinovar? Um, and and stuff like that. Uh, maybe this is a Shin thing, but dragons. He's like, oh, no dragons really. But Hoyt is like, well, there is one, but uh, something about there. She's shy, or I don't remember what he says exactly, but something like that. That there is a dragon on Roshar. And it sounded like a person, like this per this dragon is in a person's form, I guess. And I can't help but think it's probably someone we've met, and I'm going to be mad about it because we've known who it is, or, or like we've known the person or something. But I have no idea who it would be. Maybe Yasna. She's a little bit suspect, but but there's wow. no way, right? <laughs> because she's <laughs> Dalinar's. Uh, Oh man, niece. So, I feel like that's unlikely. But not, I feel like she's still up to things that we don't fully understand. Not not to shoot down your fabulous <laughs> theory immediately. I apologize <laughs> for this, but I. So Brandon Sanderson actually answered this before Rhythm War Rhythm War even came out. Um, mm -hmm. in a, in a words of Brandon, which is like he gets asked at a live streamer convention, 
and mm-hmm. I told you this. Um, do you remember what I told you, Elliot? Uh, not so much. I know we, we mentioned, we've talked about dragons in the Cosmere before. Mm-hmm. I remember the name Frost. Yep. In mm-hmm. association with our discussion of dragons. I may have made this up, but I almost want to say you told us that there's like exactly two dragons in the Cosmere. Two that we know of. Okay, two that we know of. That's as much as I remember. Yes, so this is back in Cosmere 101, the, the Cosmere 101 episode, the episode like 96 or something like that. I told you we know of exactly two, or we knew of exactly two mm-hmm. dragons at the end of Oathbringer. One was named Frost, and he is a recipient of one of the letters um, that is written back and forth between Hoyd and Frost. The second one is on Roshar, and she is a shapeshifter, so she does not take the form of a dragon. Or, more correctly, she has given up her form of a dragon and taken on a vessel. Cultivation, or Corvellium Avast, at least was at one time a dragon, is who he's talking about. Okay. Do you, do you remember well, me saying that in Cosmere 101? vaguely we learned a lot of things yeah. in that episode yes. yeah va- I, I vaguely for sure um i knew that we knew two dragons and it was frost and someone else i didn't know it was cultivation also i didn't realize it's what was the name again coravellium avast okay i didn't know i guess avast is like an end a suffix for shards is it a suffix for shards kind of like we have elin for that is a very interesting question because those are not roshar names those are their original names before they even obtained their vessels which makes me think that tanavast and coravellium avast were actually just related like that Hmm. that is just part of their names and they're related um that that would make sense they're like the because odium isn't like kind of isn't native to Roshar, right? Correct. Like it could be it could be that they were the two on Roshar kind of twinsies, you know? Right. Um it could make sense. I, I I was just wondering if that was like a thing with supposed to be with all the shards. Uh like we see like Talon Lynn, right? And and right. uh is Lynn. All all the names like that. So I was like, oh is his name just Tan? And I thought <laughs> That's like, I was like, Tanavas is such a cool name. But anyways, anyways, that's kind of off topic. Yeah, no, it's a good way to spend your brain. All right. Question from our audience. This is Phoenix in our discord. He messaged me about an hour before we started recording and said, hey, Trevor, since I figured you guys are going to record the podcast about Dog and the Dragon chapter soon. I just wanted to see if you could ask Paul and Elliot where they think Kaladin and Hoyd are during the dream is it real did they somehow get transported to berets an imitation of berets in the middle of a high storm is that where the heralds go when through every desolation etc etc while you think of that i'm going to read the physical description we get of where they are uh for you as a quick refresher for you give me one second it's on 908 
or sorry, 909 in my book. It says, the wind crashed into him, pressing him against something hard. A rock formation? He was somewhere barren. No sign of rock buds or vines in the flashes of terrifying light. Only endless windswept rocky crags. It reminded him of the shattered plains, but with far more variation to the elevation. Peaks and precipices red and gray. So many holes and tunnels. Surely there was a place to hide. Please, just let me rest for a minute. He pushed forward, holding the rock wall, trying not to stumble. He had to fight the wind. The terrible wind. Hate, hate, hate. Lightning flashed, blinding him. He huddled beside the rock as the wind blew stronger. When he started moving, he could see a bit better. Sometimes it was pure darkness. Sometimes he could see a little, though there was no light source he could locate. Merely a persistent directionless illumination. Like another place he couldn't remember. With that, my thoughts on where this might be would be... So, so I'm thinking of... I'm thinking of Dalinar's visions okay. and how the things that we got to see, um, we got to see the, uh, what was the name of the recre the recreants? Was that the name? The day where the, all the shard bears, the, all the knights radiant threw their swords down. Yep. That's uh, the recreants. Okay. Uh, we got to see that. We got to see a lot of, we got to see know it on. We got to see a lot of things in the past. I'm thinking that this is in the past. I'm thinking okay. that this is maybe our shattered planes were pretty different, but in the shattered planes, just like way in the past of maybe during like the first like desolation, um, like in the midst of like maybe right before, I don't know, Oath Pact is made. So something along those lines where Roshar is in really dire straits um, and needs to be saved. I guess. Um, but it seems like, like he says, it's like the shattered planes, but different, you know? And so I'm thinking it's just the shattered planes way in the past, or it could be some kind of like pseudo alternate. Like this is what the shattered planes could look like. If, um, if the void bringers take over, you know? Um, but I think he's still just on the shattered planes, okay. but in a vision. So I'm going to cheat a little bit and use some of Wit's knowledge to help me answer this because Wit actually drops a few helpful hints, perhaps, towards answering this question. When he first shows up, Kaladin says, Wit, how are you here? I'm not, Wit said, and neither are you. This is another planet, or it looks like one, and not a pleasant one, mind you, the kind without lights. No stormlight ones, gaseous ones, or even electric ones. Place barely has an atmosphere. Based off of that, first off, I had some of my notes. We just didn't have time for it. Fun mentioned there to different types of lights, even electric ones, which is yeah. I'm not quite sure if that's a like reference to Earth or if maybe that's you know Scadrial. I haven't read the. Uh, the Mistborn ones yet, so I don't know if they have electricity or not. Do they? No, I don't think so. Uh, short spoiler. Era 2, yes, they do. Oh, okay. Okay. Anyway, that was a side note. Um, Wit thinks they're on a different planet, which 
well, he thinks that they are seeing another planet, but not that they're actually there for real. I think what might be happening here is either this is an image of Ashen, the planet that the humans supposedly came from after destroying it with their surge binding. Yep. Or, or maybe and, this is a world that has seen the destruction of Odium. Trevor, you mentioned this in the past that we've, I think we've even, did we see in one of our um, Arcanum Unbounded? Yeah, a, a world that was after Odium. Basically, if Odium comes in, this is what's left. I wonder if this is a world like that. It, I, Yeah, that's as far as I got. I think maybe Odium, if Odium is generating this image, this nightmare, maybe he's pulling on experience that he has, or he's kind of showing him an image of a world he's been to, or what's left of a world that Odium has been to. That was my thoughts. Yeah. I will say I'm under the assumption that this place does not exist, that it's no specific like location. It's just a, a dream yeah. location. But if we're going to pull on this string a little bit further, my plan B would probably be Braze that um, Odium pulled him to Braze, the place where the Voidbringers are banished, or the Fused, I should say, are are banished after they die, and then they bring back with the Everstorm. That would be my second guess. Seems logical to me. All right, anything else for the dog and the dragon? Not very yet. enjoyable. Very nice chapter. One thing that I will leave us with is I think it is interesting that Hoyd decides to use a story that deliberately Kaladin could not come up with on his own. If you think about dreaming... And like how we understand dreams, it is really hard to, well, I, I'll say it is impossible to come up with a species or animal and name it correctly that you have never experienced before. So when Kaladin wakes up, he will know that it was not just in his head and he was successful and he was visited, connected with Hoyd. Does that make sense? That Hoyd put, gave him new information, even if it is dogs exist. Like, even if it's something as trivial as that, it is still new information to where Kaladin knows that he's not alone, and he has been talking to, actually talking to Hoyd, even when asleep. Okay, now we can talk about it, 81. Um, far less monumental chapter, but still worth covering. Uh, Esh and I and Venli are back on the Shattered Plains after they have just killed Gavilar with Zeth. And they're questioning themselves as the Alethi show up with, you know, 200,000 people strong at the end of, at the edge of the Shattered Plains. And they're like, well, why did we have to kill Gavilar? What? <laughs> We're all going to die anyway. Why did we? Why did we do this again? What? What did you guys get from from this chapter? I took away 
this in combination with I think the prologue chapter, the flashback to the prologue night with Venley from the last episode, Eshenai thinks that Eshenai is responsible for the killing of Gavilar. Yes. In that previous chapter with Venley, Nail showed up and suggested the whole Zeth kill Gavilar idea. And then Ulam jumps on the train and, and is like, oh yeah, that's a good idea for reasons he's not thinking about, but yeah, that's genius. Venley, go do this. Now I'm curious if we're going to get a little bit more of that scene, if it'll continue, and we'll see exactly what did happen. Did Venley, is Venley more responsible for this than the other characters realize? I'm wondering if that's where it might be headed. Did Venley come down the stairs and then was like, we need to kill Gavilar. And Esh and I was like, well, yeah, that's what I was about to tell you. We need to kill Gavilar. And then they're right. both like, how did you know we need to kill Gavilar? How do you know we need to kill Gavilar? And then they have a little, yeah, I'd be interested if there was a dialogue there, because you're right. At this point, as far as we know, both Venli and Esh and I think we need to kill Gavilar, and I came up with that. And at the end of this chapter, Venli is full on like manipulating her people at yep. this point. She she has where at some point she was kind of battling against Ulim and his very manipulative style. Venley's like all in by the end of chapter 81 here. At the end of the last week's chapter, Ulim says, we need to start a war to scare your people into taking on forms. And so in this chapter, Venley is, we started a war. Actually, she says, Eshenai started a war, Yes, is what she says. And we need to take these spheres, take these forms of power, and we can save our people, is what she says. tells her friends. Blames it exactly. on Eshenai, and then says, take these spheres, we can save our people. Yes. More, more and more evidence that Venli was pulling the strings, Venli and or the fuse that she's in contact with, were pulling the strings of the events that we saw back in Words of Radiance, right? Yep. End of Words of Radiance. We, we kind of at the time, at least I did back then, thought a good bit of that was happening by coincidence and or you're kind of more in Venley's or sorry, Eshenai's perspective at that time, right? You're kind of more just discovering things as, as they're happening. We're realizing now Venley knew a lot. Venley knew quite a bit about what she was doing and was orchestrating things to happen very specifically. And back in the way of Kings, Eshenai and Adolin are about to strike some sort of tenuous peace treaty. Yep. And then like that night, before there's a meeting, Eshenai goes and takes a storm form. And you're like, oh, they were so close to peace treaty. But now you're wondering, well, is it coincidence that uh-huh. Eshenai was finally talked into storm form that night? Or, yeah. All right. 82. 
knife. Radiant is shouting and screaming at Marais that you didn't tell me that Kalak was who I was sent to kill, or she assumes that she was sent to kill him. She pretty much was. Marais says, yep, it's Kalak. Use this dagger that I've hid in the cube. You can open it, turning it clockwise, and go kill, or go absorb him into the pommel of the, the dagger, please. What'd you guys get out of this? This chapter, so I'm I'm not a whole fan of this. Let's kill our heralds. I think our heralds are cool, or I wanna. I still want to know more. I want to see more their past and learn more about them and everything. And I feel like we're trying to kill them off. It's come up many times throughout our story, and and I don't like it. Um, I'm assuming that we're not gonna actually kill Clack here. I, I hope not. That's just me being wishful. I think wishful thinking because it might happen here. Um. The good sides of this chapter. This was a good chapter. I enjoyed this chapter. Um, that that emotional attachment aside, um, we see. I guess we kind of have one of these knives in hand. This like knife that can absorb a a herald into the pommel. Um, and so I'm hoping we learn more about this, more about how this works, and how. Either it could be undone or how it could be used to our advantage or, or some kind of piece coming together with this. Because um, if if this works on heralds, could it also work to like absorb a fused where they like don't come back, right? Like, could this be a tool that we could use um, in, in our battle so far? Yeah. Um, and stuff. So I, I'm assuming that more fruit will come from this. Um, and I said in our last episode some things that I feel like we're setting up for later in our story with Shalon. Um, I feel like this knife is part; it could, could be a big part of that. Um, I feel like this knife may become a bigger piece. Um, we're learning a lot about technology in this book, and I think this could be a very helpful piece of technology, if you will, um, for our heroes. Yeah, so Marais finally reveals his hand, pretty much, in this chapter and says, here's what I sent you here to do, and this is why you should do it. Deliver Kalak to me in this knife. It doesn't kill him. Don't worry about that. Um, take his place with your Lightweaver abilities. Free Adolin as the High Judge. Convince the Honor Spren to come uh return to the windrunners and help us and you can save millions of lives is is the is the hand he plays and shallan thinks to herself man i wish that didn't make so much sense <laughs> because i'm being manipulated by marais i understand that but it makes a lot of sense why would i not take Kalak's place as a light weaver and say, yep, Adolin's innocent. You guys should all come back as Windrunners and let's win the war together. Like, how is that not a good solution here? In in what I feel like is a potentially rare moment for me, I'm I'm actually I actually feel 
for Shalon a little bit in this uh, in this moment. I, I can relate to this dilemma. Normally, I I'm very much in the things are fairly black and white. There's right and there's wrong, and you should always do the right. This scenario, though, has an interesting factor in it, in that we're learning a little bit about Kalak in this chapter, and what is clear is that he's a deserter. Yep. Like in all sense of the word. And he still is. Thousands of years later from his original desertion, his entire goal, he basically says it, is to get away. He wants to escape. He says to Adolin, uh, buddy, your cause is hopeless. Just jump off the ship while you can. And he even mentions that his whole the whole reason why he's there in lasting integrity is to try and find a way off the planet. Yep. That, that's all he that's all he cares about. He's just trying to get away. He's just trying to run away. So kind of with that as context, I kind of maybe see a rationale for someone forcibly making him stay and fix this problem, which is arguably his to begin with. So I don't know. It still feels, I think Shalon or Pattern or somebody says this, that it just feels wrong to be imprisoning a herald like this and one to be trusting the ghost bloods and even doing what they're saying to begin with. But I don't know. At the at the same time, I kind of see the other side of things of, yeah, this guy is just trying to run. Maybe we should make him stay and it might help us solve this. Yeah. I, I, I was not very impressed with Kalak through the interactions we we got from him. He he seems like pretty textbook definition of a coward. I didn't actually think. Well, I, I'm I'm thinking I need to reread because I think you're right. Given the uh, like the evidence we provided, I don't know why it never like occurred to me that he was a coward. You know, mm-hmm. but it seems pretty right. You know, um, I I I feel like I want to honestly reread that and what and see. what order of Knights Radiant is associated with Kalak? I was trying to think of this and I couldn't I think, because he was Truth Watcher. I think I want to say Truth Watcher as well. It is. I think he was Truth okay. Watcher. The other one I was trying to think of was Windrunner, but Yezrian is the Windrunner. We know that. Windrunner, Nail so, Skybreaker. Right. On Stoneward. Shalash Dustbringer. I think so. Will Shaper. He's Will Shaper. Will Shaper. Kalak He's, is Will Shaper. Kalak is Venley's Will Shaper Herald. Okay. Hmm. I don't know. I feel like I don't understand wheel shapers enough still. Right. So anyway, you know, tough, tough question for Shalon here. Tough. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to it, like. If I were her, I would probably still just not not stab the Herald. <laughs> but <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it is like. With that, with that perspective, it, it's. And I, yeah, I see the I, incentive. I, on the other hand, though, I also can't get past the fact that this is a pretty mirror image of something we've seen Moash do, 
right? Which is yeah, what he did to Yezrian. Mraze is the one who's like, yeah, yeah, just do it. It'll be fine. And that makes me that that's I don't trust Mraze at all. And so, right. If you if you remember at the end of Oathbringer when Mer, when Moash does that, all of the heralds felt it, and all of them said he's dead. All of them sure. were like, yeah, we all we 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 felt that my my dad is dead is what Shalash says. They killed him. Yeah. So for Marise to say like, yeah, he's basically a spren. Just put him in the gemstone. He'll be fine. Like. Okay, I, you want to give me some details on the mechanics of that, please? Yeah. I do gotta say, I don't think I fully understood. Maybe this came up back when we talked about that event with Yezrian and Moash, and I've just forgotten it, but I don't think I fully appreciated the fact that heralds are spren. I don't, Has this come up before? I don't know if they are. So they're, they are cognitive shadows meaning they are sentient investiture that has been separated from the original bodies. Basically, they have died once. Okay, okay. I remember talking about this now, because we talked about with Nail. Right. I would yeah. not go as far to say they're Spren, which is as far as Moraes is willing to go. I don't know if he says he is a Spren, or if he says eh, he's basically a Spren. I think he says he is a Spren. I think that was the conclusion that they were trying to to make. I'll I'll look it up, but I even if he does say that, I am not convinced that the heralds are one on one equivalent to a spren. Yeah, that confused me too. I was like, well, I thought I understood spren, you know. So then, could uh, he be whatever I imagine him to be? You know, that classic. Yes, exactly. Um, He's four inches tall. Uh-huh. I, I'm recalling now our discussion about the cognitive shadows that it was like Vasher Zile actually that kind of broke mm-hmm. some of that information to us and we talked about it then. Yep. And we, yeah, we had I to we so. had to add some new categories to our, our understanding there. Okay. Now it's coming back to me. Did he refer to like a, an additional life? Vasher, I could be wrong. Basically. It was like, well, maybe in the, you know, you have to know death or something like that. Can I read uh, the conversation here between Marais and Shalon? Yeah. Yes. She, uh, Vale felt it click as she touched it. She suspected Marais had done something to unlock the device from wherever he was. When she twisted that plane of the cube, it turned easily and came off, revealing a small compartment that contained an intricate metal dagger with a gemstone at the end of the grip. So do you want me to kill him? She said. You cannot kill a herald, Murray said. They are immortal. Do not think of Kalek as a person. He is an ageless, eternal spren formed of honor, substance, and will. He is as gravity or light. Force, not man. Is that true? I don't think it is. I th- we've we've never been confirmed this and properly shirted today. Brandon Sanderson has raffled any specifics on how the oath pack oath pact was created and like the specific mechanics of it. But I'm under the impression, I've always been under the assumption that the heralds were normal people who were 
who created the Oath Pact and then became Cognitive Shadows at that point. Like, they were invested enough, gave up their original bodies. They were normal people like, you know, Kaladin, for example. Mm -hmm. Like, super invested, normal person. Gives up their body, goes to Damnation, seals away. The, The Voidbringers comes back onto Roshar, and at that point, you're a Cognitive Shadow. So it Immortal, yes. Spren, like, sure, but I would I would argue that they he was likely originally a person. This is potentially shedding some light on my final question for this chapter, which is Thydekar. Yes. There's a mention, Mraes drops it in this chapter. He says, our master Thydekar has an affliction similar to that of the heralds. He needs access to a herald to learn more about his state so he might save himself from the worst of its effects. I was scratching my head about what that might be until you just shared that conversation there of if the heralds are cognitive shadows, meaning that they've died, but their soul is attached to investiture, however that works, maybe Thydekar is a cognitive shadow. And maybe he recently has become one and wants a herald to come explain to him how it works or something like that, or to study or to experiment on. How how do I reattach myself to my body, please? Yeah, exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. I'd, I'd buy that. Interesting. Yes, back to Kalak. He did not impress me either. He is certainly a deserter. And he tells Adolin, you set yourself up for failure, dude. I'll I'll be the judge if they want me to be the judge, but this whole thing is going to be a sham. They they will define honor. They'll bring in, like, the dead eyes from outside and say, look, look what your ancestors did. They killed Spren, and that'll be it. Like, the end. Shallan is also a an fantastic example against Adolin if we want to harken back to our recent discussion about her. If Shallan has previously killed a Spren and that Spren is there in the room, huh. there's two pieces of <laughs> evidence awkward. that could Oops. go not well for Adolin. Yeah, that's I didn't even think about that. Like, look what you've done. Literally you. Like <laughs> Yep. Cause cause Adolin's gonna try and get up there and argue this doesn't happen anymore that yeah you're right see see all these dead eyes that was ages ago something happened they made a mistake they killed all these dead eyes we today the new order of knights radiant are not doing that if our theor- recent theories are true there is a radiant standing right next to him who has done exactly that for not any sort of defendable honorable reason right i mean she was seven and traumatized i guess it's the only defense there yeah it's a very complicated situation yes <laughs> but all right all right look let's not take shallan as an example here this is just inconvenient right. <laughs> my I wife I, I love you dear please don't come to the trial tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> i i also think it's kind of funny that adolin is giving this like is going to be giving this like case for all the knights radiant 
and he's our one character that we're following that is not, is not a nice friend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which makes but, me think maybe he has a really good perspective on it. I'm hoping so. I I think that works in his favor, right? I don't know that they'd listen to a Radiant. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't think they would have let, you know, Dalinar if he came in. Like, right. They, they wouldn't let him in to begin with, so. So I, I think he's got... I, aren't they you know, reverent to the... the uh, Bondsmiths? Stormfather. Storm they used to be. Yeah. They they just okay. assume everybody's crazy for bonding people these days and just shun them. Okay. I mean, if we're trying to look on the bright side for Adolin here, he's he's got a few things in his favor. He's got a, a good track record of his own honor, I suppose. He's, he's not a Radiant, so he can kind of speak outside of it. He's got Maya, right? That's his kind of, what I think might be his ace up his sleeve, is the connection he's able little little c connection or maybe big c connection that he's been able to build with maya i stumble a little bit though in that i'm trying to kind of stack up okay what's in favor of alien what's against all of that may be completely irrelevant if one kalak tells us that this whole thing is going to be a sham and or if Shalon takes him out and she stands in as Rastaris, as the high judge of this, the whole thing is going to be just kind of a for show anyway. Maybe me trying to figure out whether Adolin has a case or not is going to be completely irrelevant. And then they find out that it's Shalon manipulating oh dear. them. That, oh, man. Oh, dear. Especially Honor Sprint finding a cryptic. Like, you know, we know there's no love loss there. There, there could... Literally anything could happen with this. So we can keep reading and find out unless you guys have anything else to discuss. I think we should do that. Alrighty. Sounds good. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. We will reconvene next week. Farewell. Hasta luego.